Science and Technology. What's up? Welcome to Steampunks. I'm your co-host, Emily Shock, And I'm Zachary Shock, your co-host, husband, and number one fan of Emily. Aww. Zach. What? How podcasts work. Uh, do you got the keys? How do? How do? What? Forget where the seat warmer is. It's been so long. Okay. We're sorry we were gone for so long. We'll try to make it up one day. One day. But for now, we'll at least do something fun in that the subject of this week has a theme song. You want to hear it? Sure. Seashells, seashells on the seashore. The shells she sells are seashells, I'm sure. For if she sells seashells on the seashore, then I'm sure she sells seashore shells. So from our fun facts episode, who do you remember that sells seashells down by the seashore? Was it Mary Anning? It was Mary Anning! She sounded pretty cool. She is so cool. She's one of my favorites that we've done so far. She was a geologist, a seashell-by-the-seashore seller. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep the alliteration. (laughs) Uh, She was just great. So let's learn about Mary. Mary Anning was born May 21st, 1799, to Richard and Molly Anning in Lyme Regis. Uh, That's in Dorset, England. It was along the English coast, which is... Thanks in part to all the things Mary found. Uh, it is now called the Jurassic Coast. They're just a whole bunch of dinosaurs just hidden right there. Yeah, uh, it was, it's a very good place to find fossils, particularly from the Jurassic period, because of how the cliffs were created and moved and pushed around. Just right there, those layers are Jurassic-era England. So, like, no raptors or anything? I don't think so. that'd be pretty scary. (laughs) Walking along the beach. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Richard, he was a cabinet maker. They lived uh, down by the sea in in the lower, less good part of town. And to supplement his carpentry income, he and his family would sell curiosities or curies uh, from the coast and sell them to tourists. Now, what do you think these curiosities were? Bigfoot uh, fossils (laughs) and... Bigfoot fossils. Mothmen uh, wings. No. No, you're thinking West Virginia. This is South England. (laughs) (laughs) They They were fossils. They were little... Ammonite shells or devil's fingers or vertebraries. We'll talk more about those. But they were just little seashells that they would sell on a table outside of their home. And he did that long before Mary was ever born. So she kind of just stole his gig. 
No, she learned his gig. They, <laughs> Richard and Molly had ten children, but only two of them reached adulthood. It was the high time of infant mortality, measles and smallpox and quote-unquote general weakness were very common among children under five. They did not have vaccines yet, so there was no way to, to cull the diseases. One of their children, however, didn't die of such common maladies. Uh, her name was Mary. She was born before our Mary and was playing with wood shavings in the living room when she got too close to the fire and set herself on fire. That's not good. No. Uh, so she, she died. And five months later, Mary was born and she was named in memory of her sister. Okay. There were a lot of fantastical stories in the Anning family. One, and they're all true as far as we can tell. Uh, one in particular was when Mary was only 15 months old. Elizabeth Haskings, their neighbor, they were at like a city fair kind of thing. They were watching horsemen do tricks and a storm came in super suddenly. So uh, Elizabeth holding little Mary and two other women hid under a tree which is a bad idea in a storm because then lightning hit the tree and the electricity spread to all three women and they all died instantly. But Mary was still alive. You know, they, they brought her to a doctor really quickly and he suggested to put her into a warm bath. And in there, she slowly came back. You know, she was kind of frozen and not, not moving much. Mm. But the warm bath brought her back and... According to legend, she was a very sickly baby before the incident. But after this, she was curious, she was lively, she was constantly asking questions, super intelligent. And a lot of people ascribed this lightning bolt to the amazing things she would do intellectually in the future. Empowered by Zeus. <laughs> to go, go find the lizards. <laughs> However, uh, Mary was still a poor young girl. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity for her to learn, except uh, her family were Congregationalists. They separated from the Church of England and kind of did their own thing. And unlike the Church of England, they emphasized education for the poor regardless of gender. So they had Sunday school, which was literally like reading and writing school on a Sunday. So she did at least learn to read and write. Uh, her prized possession when she was a child was a copy of Dissenter's Theological Magazine and Review because her family's pastor, Reverend James Wheaton, had two essays in that book. Okay. Uh, one of which insisted that God created the world in only six days, and then the other of which urged dissenters to study the new science of geology. <laughs> <laughs> which to us sounds very contradictory, but back then when geology was very first being you know, picked apart and thought of as an actual science, the church saw this and went, oh, yeah, this will finally prove what the Bible said is right. <laughs> no. And then it did it. And so there's definitely an evolution within the church's thoughts on geology <laughs> right around this time, too, because even when Mary's still alive, they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. But this would take millions of... Hold on a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. See, and the world couldn't have been millions of years old. Uh, because 
Bishop James Usher, around this time, used Bible math to figure out that the first day of creation was October 23rd, 4004 BC, precisely at 8 p.m. Okay, so I get the year kind of. Yeah, you... The month. Okay. Vaguely. Day. I mean, it's Our... one in 30 chance, right? Right. <laughs> hour? What the heck? Did he and, get okay, the hours? But minute. Down to the minute. <laughs> yeah, because he did say precisely 8 p.m. So, Bible math, it was great. <laughs> so, yeah, Mary would have a lot of discussions about that in her life. Anywho, uh, the French Revolutionary War was going on around this time, so travel outside of England was super dangerous. You didn't want to go. The French were scary. (laughs) They were everywhere. Everywhere. Local vacations started becoming super popular, so beach towns like Lyme Regis had sort of a boom of tourism. Go surfing, dude. (laughs) Well, that was great for Richard. That was great for Richard for his curry selling business. And the types of things he would sell, snake stones, or the ammonites, like, you know, the the seashells, Mm. fossils. (laughs) I love this one because for a long time, people, they're called snake stones because people thought that snakes must have curled up and died and gotten fossilized. And oh, also their heads fell off, but the heads did not get fossilized. (laughs) Don't think about it. There's just so much reaching. Had they not seen shells before? You got me. (laughs) (laughs) Others were devil's fingers or belemnites. They were the fossilized head of a squid. So, like, can you imagine, like, the pointy squid with his little legs? The legs decayed, but then... The rest stayed. The pointy head would get... And they looked kind of like fingers, so devil's fingers... And then vertebraries were vertebrae. Uh, Vert, they knew what vertebrae were, but vertebraries is... They weren't like just wild berries. No. <laughs> Fossilized. Uh, the fossils found by Mary and her family in this place were in a geological formation called blue lias. I love this. They were called lias because it was named by quarry workers who were generally lower in the social class so they had a more cockney accent and they would say oh yeah I found this over there in the blue liars (laughs) I guess that's how colloquialism started (laughs) the blue liars (laughs) anyway it's limestone from the early Jurassic period that got pushed up into these cliffs that were very prone to landslides and that's how a lot of the fossils would get revealed, is there'd be a big storm, it'd wash stuff away, there'd be a landslide, boom, there's like a big old skeleton right there. Big old T-Rex, just... No, more like water things, because it was still an ocean. Yeah. Um, the giant squid. Big old the squid. Kraken. So, on top of the Revolutionary War, then the Napoleonic Wars after... Uh, caused a lot of food shortages. So wages were super low. Everything else kept getting more expensive. 
And so Richard, on top of being a carpenter and a curie seller, also led protests against bread prices <laughs> and got arrested a couple times, but it's fine. Real blue collar, man. <laughs> so Mary and her older brother, Joseph, the other sibling that survived to adulthood, would go out on the cliffs with their dad almost every day, sometimes on Sunday, much to the chagrin of Mrs. Anning. Uh, they would go out on the cliffs, and Mary was really good at finding fossils. She could, you know, look at a pile of rocks and be like, right there you're going to find a snake stone. I mean, brush, 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 oh look, it's a snake stone. Super good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so... They would go out with their father like this, but one time he went out alone during a storm, which was a bad idea for many reasons. One of which was that he did fall from a cliff, and the resulting injuries, it took him a really long time to recover, and while he was recovering, he got tuberculosis, so he got even weaker, and so he died in November of 1810, leaving his family a lot of debt, and no money. So Mary finding these curies and selling them became almost the backbone of the family being able to afford anything. They, they got what amounts now to like public assistance from the church, but it, it wasn't enough to even kind of live on. So they'd sell curies. Uh, Molly would do laundry. Eventually, Joseph did get a uh, an upholstery apprenticeship. So that helped, but that wasn't for a while. Yeah. They were very, very poor is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, extremely. So in 1811, things started to turn around a little bit. It was actually Joseph that found the skull of the first complete plesiosaur skeleton. Interesting. Uh, he has sort of fallen out of history because he didn't care. <laughs> He did not want to do fossil hunting. He just did it so they could eat. He wanted to be an upholsterer, and so he went and did that. <laughs> oh, look at this really cool rock thing. Oh, crap. I it's don't gonna be... care. Oh, it's going to make me famous. Crap. So he just gave it to Mary, pretty much. It was like, here you go. You can do it. Uh, and she found the rest of the skeleton. So she did complete the first <laughs> complete ple- uh, ichthyosaur. I might have said plesiosaur earlier. You did. Well, it's an ichthyosaur skeleton. It was a few months later, after a big storm did one of those landslides that she was able to find the rest of it. Uh, they hired, probably on credit, some local quarrymen to, to come pull it and dig it out. Hmm. And at the time, they actually thought it was a weird crocodile. <laughs> it, they, if you look at the skeleton, it, it, it looks kind of like a crocodile, and it's got the crocodile jaws, but it's got this Big ol' eye socket. Oh, jeez. It looks like the aperture of a camera, but like, wah. And well, so... Also, when you believe the world had only been built in, like, a couple thousand years, oh, yeah. you didn't think of giant... And that was part of it, too, was uh, they believed... This was, I think, before evolution really became a bona fide theory. But they truly believed that everything that had ever existed still existed in the same form it always had. Yeah. 
So some people just thought it was a weird crocodile. Some people thought it was something that just lives in deep in the ocean and we've never seen it before. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They didn't know what to think of it. It was halfway between a fish, halfway between a lizard. So it ended up being called the ichthyosaur, which is Latin for fish lizard. (laughs) (laughs) Lived roughly 200 to 175 million years ago. Jurassic period. Water monster. Pretty cool. So this first ichthyosaur fossil was bought by Henry Henley, who was lord of the manor in Lyme Regis. So he was like, you know, head on show guy. Uh, he paid them 23 pounds for it, which <laughs> for them was like a lot. Yeah. That was like, you can eat for a month money. But it's kind of super crappy because he then turns around and sells it to William Bullock for way more than 23 pounds. Uh, who displays it in London. <laughs> And, of course, it generated a lot of interest. People are like, I've never seen one of these before, so how is it real? Hmm. In 1819, it was sold to the British Museum as, quote, a crocodile in a fossil state. And they sold it for 45 pounds. So, about double. Right. So, not bad, but, like, still, they could have sold it directly to the yeah. to the museum. But, whatever. They had money, and it was good money, and it's something they could potentially recreate. <laughs> they could find more fossils. Yeah, if there's one, there's got to be more. Mm-hmm. So, and this was just the first of a bunch of huge things she found. More and more people came to her to buy specimens she found, to ask her to try and find a certain kind of specimen, because she had that kind of eye for, you know, this kind of rock will have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of the things that she discovered. Uh, 1823, the first complete plesiosaurus fossil, for real. Plesiosaur is near lizard. This one, it, it, you've probably seen it. It's the one with the little tiny head and a really long neck and then like a turtle body. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. It, a lot of people thought that she had faked it <laughs> because... It had way more vertebrae than any living creature. And they had pretty much been set in, like, every creature has this blah, blah, blah. So, obviously, she just added another neck onto it to make (laughs) it look crazy. But then they studied it more and and took it back. (laughs) Oh, wait. This could work. Hold on. But it was often described as a snake pulled through a turtle. (laughs) So, she found that. Uh, She also found, in 1828... The first British pterosaur, so like a flying guy. And she knew it was a flyer. This brings me back to dinosaur class. She (laughs) knew it was a flyer because the pinky on its arm extended way far out, which meant that the end of that pinky and the base of its arm Mm -hmm. had a big old flap of skin on it for to be flying. Wow. That's how bats do it now with their long fingies. Just real long. I <laughs> uh, also found a bunch of, of unique fish skeletons of various different scale types and sizes. And it helped complete a lot of the fossil record there. Hmm. A- as she was looking for things, her constant companion was Trey, a black and white terrier 
<laughs> who she trained to sit, stay, and guard her finds so she could, like, go get the quarrymen to dig it out. Because mm-hmm. there were other Curie finders. If, if she left it exposed, they could come in and just be like, nope, this is mine. So she guarded Trey to bark at him. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. Get him. <laughs> he was a very good boy. And if you look up Mary Anning, the main photo, well, not photo, the main painting you will see of her has Trey, like, wrapped up in a little ball in the corner. No. And he's very cute and good. One of the Anning's biggest customers was Lieutenant Colonel Thomas James Birch. He bought a good chunk of things off of them, paid pretty well, but he still felt horrible about how poor they were. Mm. At one point, he had gone over and they were in the process of selling their dining room set. Oof. And like, I, dining room set is way too fancy. It was a yeah. table and some chairs uh, so that they could pay rent. They were mostly getting money for the wood that it was pretty not much that it was not that it was like a dining set but uh so in 1820 it had been nearly a year since mary had found anything so they were not doing great and were trying to sell their furniture so he had an auction and sold all of the fossils that he had purchased from them uh quote for the benefit of the poor woman and her son and daughter at lyme who have in truth found almost all the fine things which have been submitted to scientific investigation. So one, admitted that this cell was for this poor family. Mm-hmm. And two, that this poor family is who discovered most of these things. Because <laughs> <clears throat> at the time, whoever bought it and showed it off to people, he was the discoverer. Nah. And it was always a he. Um, yeah. Never mind that it was Mary that spent all her time walking on the dangerous cliffs, digging it out, spending days cleaning it up, like nonstop, just picking at it little by little to make sure to only get the the rock and not the fossil. Yeah. But it was this guy that discovered it. Look how much work I did for this. (laughs) So this was the first recognition of her work, really. And it got them almost 400 pounds, which today's money is 38,000 pounds. Wow. So they were good for a little bit. That's really heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, when she's not searching for fossils, Mary is reading as much scientific literature as she can get her hands on. Uh, she would borrow papers from her geologist friends. She would hand copy them and just read them over and over again. And she would do that for anything and everything she could borrow. And on top of scientific literature, she would also dissect modern creatures to help her figure out the anatomy of these things that she was digging up. Okay. So almost like trying to find relatives of it. Yes, it's relative, relative anatomy. Every mammal and... Everything with bones, every vertebrate, has approximately the same kinds of bones in the same places. Okay. With different sizes and ratios and purposes. Like horses. They're running around on their fingers. (laughs) All the rest of their finger bones have fused into the leg bone, but they're there. There's no need to talk of this horror. (laughs) Anywho, so comparative anatomy, all that. 
She was constantly trying to learn more about the things she was finding. So at the age of 27, 1826, they finally saved enough to buy a house in the nice part of town. It was up on the hill, so you didn't have to worry about flooding. It had a glass storefront window area so that they could set up their fossil shop, and it looked super nice. And this is where a lot of famous geologists and collectors would come and buy their quote-unquote discoveries. And this is this is where they lived for the rest of their lives. Um, 1833, she got caught in a landslide, almost like her dad did, and nearly died. Mm. She made it through, but Trey died. At least he was a good boy. He was a good boy. He probably saved her. He was the best dino boy. Best dino boy. <sighs> Uh, 1839, she did write into the magazine of natural history to, uh, there was a claim that a fossil was part of a new genus. And she was like, ah, I actually discovered that a couple years ago and it's part of this same genus. (laughs) (laughs) And so they published that letter. That's the only writing of hers that was published in scientific literature while she was still alive. Oh, jeez. Was her being like, um, actually. (laughs) Sorry. But still, one thing. Not nearly enough things. And it it wasn't even 100% because she was a woman that these guys took credit. It was because she was working class. Yeah. The same fate happened to random quarrymen that would find things, random construction workers or road workers that would dig things up. They would sell them to some rich guy and the rich guy would say, look what I found. Mm -hmm. It's just especially heinous with Mary because she found all of them. (laughs) Like, these guys found, like, three or four things. She found them all. Uh, So, in particular, uh, famous geologists she was friends with included Henry de la Beche, William Buckland, Richard Owen, and Thomas Hawkins. William Buckland helped Mary figure out, in a lot of these bigger skeletons, there were sort of shiny, brownish rocks either in the stomach cavity or behind it. <laughs> a lot of people thought they were bezoars, which, like, modern goats will swallow a stone and it helps them grind up the grass. Okay. And so they were like, it's those. And they were like, nope, it's fossilized duty. <laughs> so they, they discovered uh, what they called coprolites, which is fossilized poo. It's a real crappy discovery. <laughs> and then Henry de la Beche... In 1830, the Annings were hitting a pretty hard financial spot again. It had been several years since her last discovery. Uh Uh, So what Henry did is he had made a watercolor that he called Duria Antiquior. And it was a painting he had done of life in Dorset in Jurassic times based on all of the creatures that Mary had discovered. So he had that watercolor published and printed and gave the profits to the Anning family to help them out. And that painting's really cool. You know, it's like a plesiosaur and an ichthyosaur going at it. And also they're eating some fish. And there's a pterosaur in the air with his long finger. And Was the poop thing? I don't know if it was in there, but there were a lot of... Uh, political cartoons against William Buckland because he was kind of a weirdo (laughs) on top of discovering fossil poop. (laughs) So there's some where he is 
he either is poop or is pooping, or maybe he is poop that is pooping. <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> but William Buckland did help in 1835. Mary made a bad investment. No one knows if the guy ran off with it or, like, he died before he could properly invest it or what. But they were out. Her life savings, 350 pounds. So William Buckland went to the British Association for the Advancement of Science and the British government and pled her case to get her a 25 pound per year annuity for all of the things she had done for science. Okay. So she was finally getting like a salary, small <laughs> salary, but a salary nonetheless. A salary nonetheless for all the things she had done. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1846. And before this, the Geological Society, which is where all the big wigs and in geology would meet and they talk about, quote unquote, their finds and <laughs> all this stuff. Uh, they refused to even have women as guests in the in the hall when they were talking, let alone as a member for I think they were founded in like 1807. Never even let a woman be spoken about but th throughout the years William Buckland would bring her up and, and give her credit for the plesiosaur skeleton mm -hmm. he would defend her against the claims that she faked it because <laughs> I mean people faked fossils all the time so it wasn't like yeah. they just made that up but like no this one was real I, I vouch for her on my life and they eventually agreed with him when she was diagnosed in 1846 they raised money from its members and made her an honorary member. So she at least got to be an honorary member of the Geological Society in 1846. And they yeah. didn't actually let women in until 1904. So oh wow, she was ahead of the curve. <laughs> she was, as doctors were wont to do in this time, uh, prescribed laudanum for the pain for her cancer. Laudanum is a super strong opiate, and they just ate it like candy. Oh, no. So people started thinking she was an alcoholic because she was just... What was that again? Nope. But she she really wasn't. Uh, it was yeah. literally they just kept over-prescribing her laudanum. But it also meant that in the last year of her life, she really couldn't work very much because she was uncoordinated and clumsy, and you can't go out in the dangerous cliffs like that. Yeah. She never got any better. And March 9th, 1847, at the age of 47, uh, she passed away from her breast cancer. Uh, Henry de la Beche was president of the Geological Society at the time. And he wrote, read, and published in their transactions a eulogy for her for the meeting of the Geological Society. Which, obviously, she was the first woman to ever receive that honor, especially to get it yeah. published. For people to read. They also, the society, paid for a stained glass window to be put into the St. Michael's Church in Lyme Regis, which is, she she converted to the uh, Church of England later in life, and so that was mm. her parish. And in this stained glass window, it's showing the six corporeal acts of mercy, which are feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, visiting prisoners, and visiting the sick. Uh, it's put up in her honor. And the inscription says, 
This window is sacred to the memory of Mary Anning of this parish, who died 9 March A.D. 1847, and is erected by the vicar and some members of the Geological Society of London in commemoration for her usefulness in furthering the science of geology, as also of her benevolence of heart and integrity of life. She was extremely generous, as poor as she was. When she had something to give, she would give it. So this was very appropriate for her. Awesome. Um, she also knew Charles Dickens, for one thing. <laughs> everyone, Always know each other. Everyone in that time knew each other. There were four people, <laughs> and they all knew each other. And he wrote an article about her life in 1865, and the final sentence of that was, The carpenter's daughter has won a name for herself and has deserved to win it. She was one of the very first female scientists to be recognized at all during her time, even though not nearly enough. Yeah. But it, it, there was there was glass ceiling being broken there. Mm-hmm. Getting chipped away at. Mm-hmm. Oh, and in 1908, Terry Sullivan wrote lyrics to the song She Sells Seashells, based on Mary. <laughs> She sells seashells on the seashore. Okay, I'm done. So, slightly abridged, but really amazing life of Mary Anning, the princess of the Jurassic Coast. Hmm. Awesome. What was your favorite part? I like the song. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the dinosaurs because I love dinosaurs. I mean, that's the obvious one. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for sticking with us. We're glad you came back to hear about Mary Anning. And uh, we are part of the Pocket Podcast Network, bringing quality content right to your pocket. Check out other shows on the network like Avocado Toast, uh, Sorted, with sorting various pop culture references into Harry Potter houses. It's great. Follow us at Steampunks Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Shockin' Awesome. And there's an underscore in there right before the awesome. I'll put it in the notes. And thanks to the band The Crips for the use of their song Marie Curie for our intro and outro. I'm Emily. And I'm Zach. And keep flying, you beautiful, majestic, steam-powered horses. David, would you, uh, oh no, your hero slash villain name is Sneaky Airplane. What are your powers? I'm an airplane that can sneak around in the dirt for hours. You're an underground airplane. I'm a snake with wings. (laughs) Planes on a snake. Planes on a snake. They, oh man, you can listen to icebreakers like this and many more on Time Zones Are Hard. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. (laughs) Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.